This is Luke chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles or a copy in front of you, open with me to Luke chapter 8. And as you're turning there to get us ready, uh, as I was thinking about this, and I always have the benefit when he asks me to preach, I'm all, he gives me several months usually, at least at many, many weeks, and I can kind of pick a sermon topic that I, uh, that I like or I, I really am interested in, you know, the Lord's speaking to me on. And so I've testified this in front of the church already, but many of you know one of my recent hobbies and obsessions is lawn care, lawn care. I never thought that would be something I cared about, but when I became a dad and got a house and, you know, started looking at those shiny mowers and then, ooh, look at the stripes and ooh, the color. And I'm kind of obsessed right now. And teen, teen boys, are you listening to me? You think, you think you'll never be in my shoes, I'm telling you. You get married and get a house and things change. But, um, you know, in my sermon analogies, I'm already running out because I'm either going to do a music analogy or a teaching analogy, and now I got lawn care. Now I'm pretty much out, so I don't know. I'm going to have to get some more hobbies. But anyway, here we go. Here's my analogy. You know, when I'm planting grass seed, I've learned a lot about this, uh, and Sarah laughs at me when I've got YouTube on, you know, and the guy's like, well, first you want to cut your grass low and then aerate the soil to create, you know, all this stuff that I, I'm researching. But there's so much involved in making sure your seed not just germinates, but becomes established. And you farmers, you know this on a greater scale than I do. Let's talk about two of the most important variables, temperature or time of year. If I'm planting grass seed, I better not plant that in the summer or the winter, or I'm not going to have a great grass establishment. Same thing with uh, farmers. You know, there's certain times of the year when you've got to plant a certain crop. But temperature is not the only factor. That's just one thing. Probably more important is where you put the crop or the seed and how the ground is prepared. For example, with grass, you know, if you're wanting to overseed, you got to do a core aeration. That's where you pluck up the plugs of grass to create holes in the ground for the seed. Are you sleeping already? I heard someone snoring. Uh, you pull up the plugs of dirt, and then you put, you can run, uh, <laughs> this is so funny, you run equipment to slice it up, and then you put your seed. Why? Because that soil has been churned, and it's cultivated in such a way that the seed can touch the soil and have a better chance for germinating. Again, farmers, same concept. That's why we see all these combines going by. They got to go get their fields ready. So today we're going to look at a time in Jesus' earthly ministry in which he basically uses the same example, seed germination of our heart. And the whole purpose is he's pointing people to their need, the most important need that we have, and that is our need for salvation, of giving our heart, our life, our soul, our spirit, everything to the Lord. And he does it through this wonderful parable, the parable of the sower, starting in verse number four. I think what's amazing about this uh, parable, you know, if you have a title in your Bible above the text, Parable of the Sower, a lot of commentators have said that maybe is not the best title for this. A better title for the context would be Parable of the Soils, because truly that's what we're going to see Jesus talk about. When the sower, anybody who sends the, the word of God out, sends it out, it's the soil type and the response of man that determines whether that seed will plant and germinate. You see a heart that is hardened, or as we're going to see other soil types, it can't grow among those hearts and attitudes, never prepared 
never cultivated, never determined to receive the seed in the first place. Specifically, we're going to look at four soil types or heart conditions. And I'm going to be going back and forth between saying that, soil type, soil of the heart, heart condition, because that's what this is talking about. The parable is an earthly story about something they know about, sowing seed, to get that spiritual understanding, which is that our heart must be cultivated to receive what God has for us. This is going to give us the three soil conditions that are destined for failure. If we're not uh, alert, if we're not careful, uh, the Satan can definitely tempt us to allow our heart to focus in on a wrong soil condition. There's only one soil of the heart that is cultivated and ready for the seed of the Lord. And so this is a powerful illustration. Let's, let's talk about it. Uh, let's read it, and then we'll talk about kind of how it was written and, and how to pick it apart to learn from it. So here we go, Luke chapter 8, verse number 4. Let's read together. Uh, and when a great multitude had gathered, and they come to him uh, from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to you, It has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in a time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Lord, thank you for this parable, and thank you for the powerful illustration that it provides us, that we must seek you to cultivate within our hearts fertile ground for your word. May we seek that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful parable. I love this parable. Like I said, getting to hand select it uh, was nice, because I, I do enjoy this parable. And I find that as I get older, I notice I didn't say old, I know. I'm not going to be old, and I don't know when that ever happens. What age, what age do you get when you can call yourself old? I don't know. Gray hair, but then I have blonde hair, so I don't even know how that's going to work out. But anyway, as I get a year older slowly, old familiar stories that I grew up hearing, they just they become more you know, applicable in my life as I've lived through things now. So I do enjoy these classic um, parables. And, and thank you. If you've heard a sermon on this before, thank you for still listening well to me today. So let's talk about what led up to this uh, parable. In chapter 8, Jesus is in the middle of his earthly ministry. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says he's going from city and village, uh, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. 
You see, if you came to our revival, the uh, speaker had some great things to say about the kingdom of God. Specifically, that's all that Jesus was about. That was it. That was everything. Everything was kingdom mindset, kingdom focused. So before we even talk about the parable, let's understand our mindset needs to be on the kingdom of God first and foremost. We have our mindset, if we have our worldview, our perspective based on other things, we are destined for failure. See, the Lord was showing us by his determination to get the message of the kingdom out, how we too should live, how his followers should live. So he's going everywhere preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom. And really with this day and age and vehicles and airplanes, uh, yet we sit around more often than getting out. We need to do more for spreading the gospel and being about the kingdom, not just getting out, but putting stuff on our plate that kind of surrounds what needs to be on it instead, like our jobs and our families. Uh, sports is a big one with me. I know I love my sports, but man, I cannot crowd the plate with that instead of going out like Jesus did, sending the good message. Now we come down to verse four and we read that while he's doing this, he's gathered a large crowd. You see, right before chapter eight and chapter seven, he has raised the life of a dead son of a widow. So he's working miracles and it's drawing attention. And all of this leads to where we are right now, chapter eight, verse four, having a large crowd. Don't, don't ever doubt that Jesus does this at a purposeful time, right? He is, everything he does is, is for a purpose and for a specific end result. And so him having a large crowd deciding to tell the story of planting seed, how could that be so important? Well, that's because it is important. And they, you know, they even ask, what does this mean? And it's kind of like saying, it's such a simple story. And he says, his answer is, well, it's because for you, you know the mysteries of God through this parable. In other words, for the believer, a parable is a tremendous way to gain spiritual understanding. For other people, it's just a story. So let me step back a second and talk about parables themselves. I don't want to assume everybody here knows what a parable is. A parable is an earthly story told by Jesus that has a heavenly or kingdom meaning. And so usually what's the common description is a story about the natural world to explain the supernatural through Jesus about the kingdom. That's why a lot of it says before, this kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells the story. But again, if you're not a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, then none of it will matter to you. And, but for the citizen of heaven, it is amplified because how much more, you know, if we know about an earthly situation, how much more when we apply to the spiritual, will it have meaning? And that's what the parable and all parables are for. So large crowd, ready to hear it. And he drops this parable. The structure of the text, as you saw with me, we saw in verses four through eight, that's the parable itself, the earthly natural story. Verses nine and 10, they're saying, hey, what does this mean? He explains. And then in verses 11 through 15, we see the answers. And so before I go through the points of the sermon, let's talk about the three important terms. You gotta know these, write these down if you are a writer and, and, and understand that you know before we really know the meaning, we gotta know what's happening here with the characters or I, I say characters because it's items really. The seed, the first thing, the seed, according to verse 11, it says the seed is the word of God. You must know that. When we're talking about seed in this, I'm not, I'm not actually talking about grass, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's what the lost would think this story is about, is a sowing seed of a, of a crop. No, the seed is the word of God. So then the sower, what's the sower? Well, if the seed is the word of God, then the sower is the person sending the seed out. So the sower could be a disciple, it should be a disciple of Jesus, could be me, could be you. Uh, it's not just preachers. All right, the sower is any of us who follow Jesus sending the seed out. And then the last 
thing that we must note is the soil. What is the soil? Well, by reading, hopefully you gleaned that it is the heart of man, the response of man, the attitude of man. And that's the main theme of today's message is that we must pray that the Lord would cultivate fertile ground in our heart because as we're going to see, it will not establish unless it is. It will not grow and bear fruit. It will not save our souls unless the heart has been cultivated and prepared and is willing to receive. So we're going to begin with the points by looking at three dangerous soil conditions, three dangerous. And as I go through these, I am going to be giving you a fair warning, you know, unless you brought a steel-toed shoe, your toes are going to get crunched a little bit this morning. This is a toe-stepper of a sermon, and not because I'm trying to, but just the nature of the text. And I say that for myself included. Look, we all need to grow. If you think you've arrived at a point in which God's word is incapable of stepping on your toes and making you formed better into an image and the likeness of Jesus, then I'm a little bit fearful because that's what the Bible tells us happens when we seek him. He does mold us, he does shape us, he does sharpen us, and he does rebuke, chasten, and correct. So you need to be seeking that in your life, and if it's through me, then okay. But really, it's the, it's the, it's the text. So be prepared. Toes will be stepped on today as we understand what we need to do to be ready to receive the seed or the word of God. First dangerous heart condition is if you are a path sitter. Now, I came up with these terms, and they're not that great, okay? But, um, yeah, someone might even say, that doesn't even grammatically make sense. But uh, it probably doesn't. But, you know, what I mean by this is if you are allowing the Word of God to sit upon the path or the wayside, that's who we read about in Luke chapter 8, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Now, this text says wayside. Your translation might say path, but that's exactly what it is. It's a path. It's a road. It's not meant for seed. It's not meant to grow crops. It, it has another purpose altogether to allow people to walk through. And so if seed falls on that, you can obviously understand that's a bad idea. In my short time of working with my lawn, I think one of the worst things for a new seed plant or like new grass is if people are trampling on it, right? If people are walking on it, that's why uh, you hear old men say, get off my lawn, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to the get off my lawn phase. Um, but that's why, I mean, if you mash grass over and over again, it stifles it. It creates hardness and compaction, does not allow the nutrients and the richness to seep down inside of it, cultivating it to be fruitful and grow. You're allowing that seed to just sit on top of a, a compacted earth when you're a path sitter. And that's not the only issue, compaction. The other issue is the birds coming and grabbing the seed. And it literally says in verse 12, who's the, who are the birds? It's the devil. The devil comes and takes the word out of their, of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. A path sitter then is someone who is content letting their heart be a mere plate for the, the devil to just come and shoop. The words that I'm preaching or the words you read from your Bible, they go in one ear and out the other, you know? They just zoop, snatched out by Satan. And actually that exact analogy kind of was given by our speaker at Revival. He said that the devil, what's the term for the devil? The prince of the what? Air. Last time I checked, birds fly in the air, you know? There's air in here, and, and it's a scary thought, but 
we got to be on guard. That's why a lot of you in your uh, Sunday school lessons talked about the armor of God today. We got to be on guard because we're in spiritual warfare, church. It's not playing games. It's not messing around. It's real. If you're sitting with your path hardened, compacting it all around, and now the devil's coming and just snatching all the words that have fallen upon your heart, it's just not going to produce anything. There is no germination, and this is what it says here. This is why this one's scary. Being as path sitter is dangerous because you lack salvation if you're a path sitter. The devil snatches it out of your heart before you can actually believe and be saved. Look, you might be here right now completely zoned out. I hope I've done a little bit to get your attention, but if you're thinking about, you know, anything other than the message, then you're kind of doing what we're talking about. Letting it go in one ear and out the other. I'm not saying you lack salvation if that's the case, but the true essence of being a path sitter is that the word of God is not falling upon a heart that's ready to see it or to hear it, receive it, and change their life. It's just words. My words, Greg's words, they're just words unless the Holy Spirit attaches to them and sinks inside of your heart to cultivate it. And so don't be a path sitter today, folks. He wants your heart to be receptive. And when he changes your heart, he will allow you to resist the devil. It's not like this prince of the air thing is constant doom for the follower of Jesus. Because of the sword of the spirit and the armor of God, we can resist the devil. That's what it says in the text. We can fight back. We can have victory through Jesus. And so there is hope. Give your heart to him. Allow him and his spirit to plow through the hardness of your heart and stop being a path sitter. Our second soil type mentioned in the text is if you're a rock dweller. So if the seed is dwelling among your rocky, stony soil, you are a rock dweller. In the planting world, establishments of plant is huge. You're not going to have a plant live if you don't put it in the right soil type and give it its proper nutrients. And that's kind of what we see in this analogy. Verse 6, he says, you know, some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And you jump down to verse 13 when he explains it. He says these are people who, when they hear the gospel, they receive it. They receive the word with joy. but These have no root. And they believe it for a while. In a time of temptation, they fall away. Now, I'm going to get to that in a minute. There's so much in the Bible that assures us of salvation. So really what the rocky soil is saying is that these people have fake growth, superficial growth, no root, meaning their plant is dead. Their plant is dead. It's never been established in the first place. Why? Why would someone then, essentially, why would they fake a conversion to have growth be seen? Because some of us even here today have all our Christian life just been just for show. Why would that be? Well, the great preacher of the, of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, made this statement. He said this. Kind of made me think. He said, you know, a lot of people are enamored with the pleasure of religion and the feelings that come with being involved with the church body. And so they want to be involved in the philanthropic aspects of the church, giving to the poor. They want to be involved in the social aspects of meeting new friends and having men's cookouts and ladies' nights. They want to get involved with all those things. But true faith, radical change, repentance, if you look down, there's no root there. And so that's the kind of person that could fake it or play church. They, 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 they seem to even have growth. Look, they hear the word and they want it. They seem to want it. There's even some things that we can see as growth. But when you look again, there's no regeneration. There is no root. It's like a dog as Proverbs 26, 11 says, a dog that returns to its own vomit. Eventually, a rock dweller 
isn't going to find pleasure in that anymore. They will go back to their old ways and be revealed. You might think that being a rock dweller is easy to spot. Oh, that'd be easy to find someone who's faking. Well, being a rock dweller is something that we can conceal for a long time. And I normally would not be a name dropper in sermons, but I believe this case falls under Ephesians 5.11 where it says we must take no part in darkness, but rather expose evildoers. Paul writes many letters dropping names saying, this person stabbed me in the back, avoid them. And so I'm gonna mention a name that falls right under this as a rock dweller who I would have never expected and it devastated me. His name is Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias was a Christian apologist for 40 years writing books. He could get on stage and debate anybody and school them with a sound theology. It was amazing. His case is tragic. In his early 70s, he got an inoperable terminal cancer, died within three months. And it wasn't until he died that um, the uh, true nature of what he seemed to be serving came to light. You see, what he concealed using the funds from his ministry was an underground ring of abuse via massage parlors whom he had hundreds of women exchange sexual favors for money and perks. Let me tell you something. If Greg or me ever open up 200 massage parlors in our personal lives, stop us in our tracks. One innocent person needs 200 massage parlors. Or how, he had dozens. It's ridiculous. There were warning signs of his rocky soil. And... The reason why I'm mentioning this is extremely public. When people give money to that ministry, they're saying, I want this to be used for the kingdom. And here he is spending it on sin, very blatant sin. Never publicly repented of it, never tried to make amends, and he passed away from the cancer. Now listen, I don't think any sin has passed the grace of Jesus, and I pray Ravi really repented in his dying breath. Lord, please. But the, the fruit which we, by which we know, it wasn't there. It's extremely disheartening and concerning to think that he was a rock dweller the whole time, but that's all I can think of. When you're, you're doing such egregious things to conceal what you really, where your roots really are. And this is what makes Satan the most giddy, you see. When he's able to deceive people into following someone who really was never of the fold to begin with. First John says, they go out from us, these fakers, but they were never of us because if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. So Ravi Zacharias, I pray he turned, but it seems that he was a rock dweller. Now I wanna be clear about the term fall away from verse 13. This is not a concern to a real believer. This is actually a, a peaceful thing to a real believer because a real believer has eternal security. You cannot be lost if you really have faith. There's so many verses here. Here's a few, John 10, 28, 29. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. First John 5, 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You heard the first John 2, 19, those who go out from us were never of us. And then Romans 8, verse one, there's no condemnation to those in Christ and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Romans 8, 38, 39. So then the issue then is how do we know if faith is true? How do you know if your soil is rocky or not? Well, first of all, that's God's decision, not ours at the end of the day, right? 
God's the one that examines whether our fruit was fake or real. So, but first we need to have fruit in our life. Okay, this is two ways. There will be fruit in your life. And if there's no fruit, then it's clear. So what is the fruit, Cody? Well, it depends for every person, right? It's not exactly the same, but there are certain fruits of a Christian that you will know. This person loves the word, wants to pray more often, wants to teach others about Jesus. If you are not doing at least those three things, wanting to come learn about the Lord, wanting to pray, wanting to tell others, there's a good chance you could be a rock dweller going through life pretending when really you've never had that, that moment of faith and repentance And the parable is then not, again, it's not meant to give you lack of assurance. It's the opposite. When we know our faith is genuine and that your heart has been cultivated, you have ultimate peace knowing that you are eternally secure. A final thought on stony soil. You know what grows really great in gravel? You ever noticed? Weeds. Thank you. I hate weeds. And I hate sin. And that's exactly what festers in a stony heart where the word of God is stifled weeds just thrive. Sin will fester in the stony heart. Do not allow that. Allow the Holy Spirit. Pray. Ask the Lord to cultivate within you fertile ground. Our third dangerous heart condition is uh, described in verse 7 as being a choker. Being a choker. In verse 7, it sees a seed does grow in this case. It springs up, but is choked out. I don't work much with gardens. I, I, like I said, I like more of the lawn aspect. Do a little bit of gardening, but I know for sure that uh, thorny plants are not gonna be anywhere in my gardens forever, okay? Uh, if you like thorny plants, then good for you. But uh, why, Cody? Why are you so hateful against the thorns? Well, I just know that thorny plants grow a lot. They wanna push other things out of the way. They wanna be the focus, the center of attention, so to speak the fence mechanism of the thorns, perhaps, against predators or against other plants growing. But that's exactly what Jesus says happens to his word if our hearts are nothing but thorny wastelands. Verse 14, he says that those who fall among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. You see, this is the one heart condition of the three that I think a Christian can fall into seasons of. In other words, the first two, if the seed never grows, there's no salvation there. That's pretty clear. But if you're choking out what God intends for you, that can be a, a season of, um, of season of mistakes for a Christian that could make. What, is, what do I mean by that? Was, well, look at what the text is. You know, the devil is tempting, right? This whole, this whole context is the devil is involved in all of this to distract our hearts and make them hard and rocky. And the devil does not discriminate who he tempts. He's tempting unsaved. He's tempting saved. And what's the number one temptation of Satan? What does he want you to do more than anything else? He wants you to put other things before God. Simply put, Because when you put other things before God, if you're lost, that means you'll never get saved. And if you're putting other things before God in your Christian life, that means you're not growing like God wants you to grow. You're not bearing the fruit he wants you to grow. And so it's a win-win for the devil when he tempts you to put other things before God. What are the three things that are most at risk for us to get choked out with? Well, it's the earthly things. It's the carnal. It's the cares, the riches, the pleasures. Man, I'm guilty of this 
You guilty of this sometimes? The cares of this world, sometimes they get so crazy. If I described my month of May, you would just say I'm whining, so I won't. But you all have a crazy life going on too. Don't we all just have so many cares and burdens right now? And yet, if we're not careful, those things might seem like they're the end all, be all. I remember so many people that always, when I get anxious, they'd grip me and say, hey, it's not the end of the world. That exam is not the end of the world. And that's a great little sentence, maybe a cliche that's overused, but it's not. The cares of this world are not the world. They are of the carnal. They are of the flesh. So stop putting your cares of this world first. You know, zoning out right now, thinking about lunch. I know we're hungry, but, but that's, that's, that's an example of this. Sports, like I said, love sports. I can't get so wrapped up in this that I get uh, out of sorts with things or get nasty or get uh, my heart in the wrong spot. Caring about this world is not going to be good. It's choking. It's a choking hazard. What about money? Money is the second thing, riches. You know, the Bible says this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Think about that again for a second. It's easier for a camel to go through a needle the eye, the little string thing. Who still sews out there? It's small, right? Than for a rich person to enter heaven. Doesn't say impossible. All right, Solomon was rich. You know, so we'll see Solomon one day, but it is very difficult. Why, Cody? Why is it so difficult to be rich and go to heaven? Because of the choking, the allure, the draw, the struggle that we have ingrained in our society that money answers problems. Money fills you. Money makes you happy. Money completes you. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. This is why the lottery is so successful, though, because people think being rich will fix your problems. I'm not here today to tell you buying a lottery ticket's going to be a uh, a sin necessarily. I don't think it's wise, but I'm here today to tell you if you think that your problems are going to be fixed if you win, you're wrong. Well, how do you know? I'm sure $100 million would make me feel a lot better. Google lottery winners and misfortune, okay? All I'm saying is uh, it isn't the life that you think it would be. Earthly riches are a recipe for disaster. The only riches that are worthwhile pursuing are the spiritual riches through Christ. We have, an earth, we have a spiritual kingdom that awaits us. Riches in Christ untold. Don't sell your birthright to get riches on earth when you have riches in heaven. And the final uh, of the choking is putting pleasures first. Just anything glorifying what you wanna do. That's what this is. You know, pleasures, you know, you think maybe specific sins, perhaps, but I think really putting pleasures first is just putting anything you want to do before others or before the Lord. When's the last time you tabled what you needed to do or want to do in your life to help someone else? Well, I'm here today to tell you, I know many members of you who have done that. I've asked for help. You've jumped in there and you've helped me. You've tabled what you want to do to help either a personal need at home or a ministry need. <clears throat> and that is exactly what we need to do. If we are uh, ground growing in the Lord, we are allowing the needs of our brothers and sisters in the kingdom to grow first before ourselves. Let not man seek out his own needs, but the needs of others. And Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom, Matthew 6, 33. So putting pleasures first, choke, choking hazard.
We need to open up, open up the soil and allow Jesus to be first above all else. Now, chokers can be unsaved. Like I said, saved or unsaved, this is the one where it really just depends. It depends on your heart condition. If you're not prioritizing the Lord at all, well then, yeah, you're unsaved. You've never given your heart to the Lord. That's clear. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus. But being a choker is also a condition of the saved, and we don't want to go through seasons of that. Why? Why? I already have salvation. What's the point? Well, because we have a familial, excuse me, we have a familial bond with God. We are children of God. And my girls and, and the relationship I have with them, I pray they seek to do good because of the fact that they know the rules and it makes us mutually happy and we have a better relationship. There's joy and there's peace, there's happiness, there's trust, there's honesty, there's, an, you know, the list goes on of why we should seek to be uh, open soil for the Lord even after salvation. So pursue that. Now, our final uh, soil type is the good soil. And this is what we want to pray, prepare to be. We want to be prepared to be, uh, or pray to be a prepared seed bed. Now, when a garden is prepped correctly, the good soil or the top soil is churned or exposed, isn't it? That's why. So the seed hits it and it gets into the soil and it gets the nutrients it needs. And in verse eight, what happens to the good ground it says here that the uh, good ground sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. A hundredfold. Jesus explains in verse 15 what's happening here. It says that if the seed, the word falls on good ground, then these are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit. That phrase, an honest and a good heart, I want to be very clear today. That's an act of the Lord right there, not an act of ourselves. The Bible clearly says there is no one who does good. No one seeks after the Lord. He seeks his own. So what is the, where does the honest and good heart come from? It comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit who has cut you to the heart and pierced it with his sword of the seed, the word of God. And what is promised to us if we have that word? It is growth. Not maybe it will grow, not possibly it will grow, if the, sore, or if the seed is planted in fertile ground, it will grow. That's a hallelujah moment right there. And not just grow. I love what it says. It's exponential growth. It will grow a hundredfold. How does that work? Well, the relationship aspect, the discipleship aspect, it's exponential. If I teach the gospel to someone who then teaches the gospel to another person, now we've got three people teaching the gospel instead of the one that started with. It's kind of obvious, right? That's the exponential growth it's talking about. Not just along with you in your little garden, but boom, to gardens around the world, there's exponential growth because of the fertile, true, authentic soil that was prepared by the Holy Spirit and received by a willing heart. That's what we pray for, and that's what we seek for, is that prepared soil. Now, will this mean that you are going to have a problem-free life, that your garden never has a weed pop up? Oh, no. Do a little uh, exhaustive search of the Bible, or not even exhaustive, and you'll find that we are called, brothers and sisters, into a life of trial. We are called into a life of chastisement and sharpening and even struggle. But why are we doing that? Well, we always want to realize that God puts us where he needs us to prepare us to show others that this earth, this world, this sin-cursed earth, this is not where it's at. There will be struggles here. Where are we going? It's the kingdom. It all goes back to kingdom. It really, truly does. 
We're going to go through trials as a prepared seedbed still. We're going to have uh, temptations still come our way. But as a fertile, authentic ground, as it grows, it will then shut out the weeds. You know, that's the last lawn care analogy, I promise. When you get a thick grass, you have less weeds. Because your grass is there, there's no room for the weeds. Pray that the Lord grows in you to make you continually more in the image and likeness of Jesus so that that devil, man, he doesn't have as much room to attack you anymore. You've got the sword of the spirit, the armor of God in, in its place, ready to defend. So I want you to uh, consider these four soil types in a different way before our invitation. I have a little song that I learned a few years ago. It's a ballad. It's kind of a pretty song. Um, and I'm not a professional singer, but I do think that the spirit works in different ways some of you hopefully have been pierced by the, the soil types. But maybe this, this song will, will do that too. It's, it's based on the same thing, praying that the Lord's word would be planted down deep and, and cause it to bear fruit. It's called Show Us Christ. I'm gonna pray, or I'm gonna uh, play. I want you to kind of prayerfully think through what has been said today in this text. And then we'll have a normal invitation afterward with Deb coming up.